Hey everyone, this podcast is with Daria Grabchuk, Rockstar Inner Circle member, real estate investor, mother, and immigration consultant. And we wanted to bring Daria in to ask her all about Canadian immigration, how the immigration system works, why we're getting such high levels, will it continue, issues she is seeing working on the front lines of it all, and opportunities for real estate investors because of it. Obviously, population growth is a huge fundamental of real estate investing. We need people to rent out the properties that we buy. And so understanding our immigration levels, where uh, everyone is migrating to in Canada, international students, how to screen new immigrants who might not have credit scores. All the stuff we cover in this podcast will give you more context in understanding what you're seeing out there on the streets with your properties and how to handle different scenarios. Plus, understanding the massive population growth happening in Canada, but especially Southern Ontario, gives you the conviction to invest with more confidence and make the moves today that will set you up for success tomorrow. Daria is very bullish on Southern Ontario real estate. I'm very bullish. And when you hear this episode, you might be very bullish as well. Rockstar has been beating the drum about population growth in Ontario for over five years now. And it's something we've always watched closely. We've been putting out a report and updating the data every year for at least five years now called Ontario's Population Explosion, The Untold Story. It details how much immigration Canada is receiving, Ontario is getting, where they're all going, comparing it to the uh, other G7 countries and top destinations in the world for content the existing supply of housing, how much housing we're going to need going forward, if we can match the demand with more supply, and how you can set yourself up to profit from it all as a real estate investor. You can download the 2020. Yeah, 2023 updated Ontario population explosion report at rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. Just go to the website and you will see that section. Without further ado, Daria Grabchuk, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so I am live with Daria Grabchuk. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so Daria, what is your story? So just to preface this, from what I know about you, you're a Rockstar member. That's correct. Uh, You work with Paul DeBruzzo on the team. You um, are an immigration consultant slash attorney. Immigration consultant. Okay, and this is like a private business that you run. Yeah, it's a private business. So basically in Canada, there are two types of businesses who can provide immigration help to people who look into immigrate to Canada or get citizenship. So number one would be lawyers. And number two would be immigration consultants who have active license and good standing order. So that would be you? Yes, that's me. Okay, so this is like a certification that yes, you take? Yes, you, got, you have to go through the special education, pass uh, your RCMP fingerprints, pass the entry to practice exam, and then just every year you have to continue learning. You have some CPD credits, meaning then you continuously learn new information because as we speak right now, there are going to be announcement by the Minister of Immigration, Sean Fraser, about some new visa, visa-free travel programs. So it's constantly new programs coming in, and I have to stay up to date. Okay, so it's a private business where you're helping people internationally come into Canada. In Canada as well. So in Canada, internationally. So whoever is interested in any immigration, Canadian-related immigration, I'm, I'm here to help. So Canadians also leaving? 
Canada to immigrate to other places? Um, or primarily? Yes, yes, leaving, but there is not much help leaving, right? <laughs> so if people want to leave Canada, I, there is not much I can help, right? It's mainly to come to Canada to study, work permits, uh, visitor visas, sponsorship programs, permanent residency. Uh, I don't do refugees. It's, it's different. Uh, there are so many programs. I believe there are over 70 immigration programs where you can get permanent residency. It's just I'm not able to do all of them. So I, my speciality is on express entry, economic class, some sponsorship programs, work permits, study permits. So 70 different programs. Yes. Okay. So it's a mix of private people like yourself, private businesses helping, and it's then also public. Programs. So it's not like 70. There are, uh, if I'm correct, there is over 100,000 immigration consultants. Uh, not all of them active, not all of them are in good standing order. Some of them have troubles with the law, right? Where they go to the court, immigration Because they're doing illegal things? Yes, yes. Oh. Or some of them simply don't do what they intended to do by getting their license. For example, some consultants, they get their license, but then they're not able to get clients or they're not sure how to structure their business. So they go work for another company, for another consultant or let's say lawyer. Okay. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack. The reason that we wanted to have you on is because Canada is being flooded with immigration. Yes. It's propping up the housing market. It's it's really just a massive uh, thing that we've been looking at for like the last decade here at Rockstar. It seems like it's finally getting its heyday in the mainstream media for the impact that it's having. And we're trying to understand it more. So I was born and raised in Brampton. So as uh, someone that was born in Canada, I have no idea how the immigration system works. I'm pretty naive to it. And I think most uh, native-born Canadians are. I say native-born, like just born and raised in yes. Canada. Um, that being said, most of us are immigrants if you trace it back far enough. Like yes. my dad was born yes. in Italy, came here in the 1950s. My mom's side, Irish, came in the 1850s with the potato famine and stuff. So, and also, I know that this podcast might get a little bit political in the comments because everyone has their opinions and stuff. Yes. But what I'm just trying to understand is how it works. What are the facts? Who, how many people are coming in? How does it all work? So let's dive into that right away. Um, where are you from, Daria? Because you have an I'm accent. I'm from Ukraine. Okay. And when did you come here? I came first time I came 2008. Uh, I came with my mother and my sister. Uh, so we had to come within a certain period of time to get landed immigrant. Uh, I came for two, three weeks and I left because I came, went back to Ukraine to finish my bachelor in architecture. So then uh, in six months or so in summer of 2009, I came back uh, to get some extra jobs, let's say for summer holidays, well, I, because I finished fourth year. So I had a couple months in summer to work. And this is when I found my husband <laughs> and I stayed here since then, since 2009. Your husband's Canadian? Uh, yes. Okay, so that's then, met here. so that's why you kind of came, chose yes. Canada? Yes. Okay, so now you're a citizen? Yes, that's correct. So you've been through the entire immigration process yourself? Yes, that's correct. And uh, over the years, it worked this way that I was helping other uh, friends, family members with some immigration inquiries. And in about 2015, I understood that maybe I should go for license, get the license done and help to people all over the world and in Canada to fix their immigration problems or help them immigrate or any other. So there can the consulting business here and exists because people are trying to understand how to get yes. in and because there's so many programs and it's so convoluted. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it's uh, for some people who want to come to Canada. See, it depends. So there are people who 
do their homework, they prepare, they know what's required. Uh, some people don't, but they want to come to Canada. So basically, I have two types of clients for people who need hold hand in scenario where I tell them what to do. You have to do this, that, uh, pass your English exam, find employer or how you get um, how you study in, a, in, a, in school, right? In Canada, in school or in college, university. And some people, they know what to do, but you just need a little bit extra help by, for example, me checking their uh, application ensuring they have all the information they needed. But mainly about 80% of people, they need information step by step. So this is where I come in and I help them because there is so many programs. It depends on the age, on your education, on your primary NOC code, so national occupation code, uh, also property prices, right? So people need to choose their province carefully for them in order to, after, for example, if they come for student visa or they come on work permit, so they'll be able to immigrate. Because, for example, for students, it's quite expensive. Like one year for international students, about 15,000 a year and up. For a tuition? Yes. Uh, for example, Which is which roughly is how much? Com three times, three times more times. in compared to domestic students. On average, it's about three times yes. more? Yes. So, of course, you need to make sure that the province you're going to and the program you're studying, for example, will give you an ability to apply for permanent residency through this student program, right? So, for example, you're a recent graduate, what types of programs you took, what length, right, of the program is a two, three year program. Uh, did you study IT or health, right? For example, in British Columbia and here in Ontario, too, there are programs that kind of benefit you depending on what you decided to study. So it's kind of long term planning. So just to come to Canada, yes, get visa, but what's your final decision, right? What you want to get in final? Because mostly about 90% of people, they want to come to Canada, stay here permanently, get their permanent residency status, build a family, buy the house. Uh, some people, what I've seen right now, for example, from Europe, we have uh, uh, working holiday international experience class programs where uh, citizens of certain countries from uh, 18 to 30 or 35 years old, they can come to Canada much easier than citizens of other countries and they get work permit for one year. So for these type of people, they, it's more for them, I want to come to Canada and see, right? So they may not necessarily know that decision, right? yes, I want to get permanent residency. So it's kind of, you have to talk to the client and see what's your final, what's, what, what, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? So this, and based on that, we choose the program, uh, of course, depend on their English, French, jobs, education. So you mentioned 90% of people want to come here for permanent residency. What about the 10%? Is that just students coming here? Uh, mainly or temporary students, work uh, our parents who already decided for, the, for them, right, to come to Canada to study because there is so much capital you need in order for the student to finish, like, say, two, three-year diploma. It's, I would say it's about $50,000 if it's a two-year diploma. Uh, the reason for two-year diploma is after studying and completing two-year diploma, you can get work permit for three years. For example, if you go for a one-year program, you can only stay and work in Canada one year. And one year is not enough to get your permanent residency status because usually you require one year full-time job experience, uh, full-time, but it's 30 hours a week for immigration purposes. So as soon as you finish your college right away in day two, you have to start working. Meanwhile, you already have to have your post-graduation work permit applied for and submitted. And then you just don't have much time if you choose one year. Okay, wait, so, so, so for one year pro school programs, you can't get in afterwards? One year. So basically one, uh, one year, uh, let's say college diploma, will allow you to apply for postgraduate work permit for one year. And then after that year, you could potentially get in. 
uh, potentially, but the chances are much lower if, for example, you go to a two-year diploma, where after completing two years diploma, you get three years open work permit for students. Okay, okay. So this way you have one year of work because the problem with students is uh, students can work 20 to 40 hours depending on the program, it's an on-campus or outside campus, uh, but while you study full-time, your job experience, your work doesn't count towards immigration. Okay, so why don't we just take it back? Like, how does the Canadian immigration system overall work? It's a points-based system? Yes, so the biggest one we have right now is an economic uh, program. Uh, it's express entry, so it's a computer-based system, which, for example, takes your information into account, how old you are. So uh, up until 30 years old, you get the most points. If you have master's, a bachelor, you get the most points. Uh, if you have uh, three years or more experience, you get the most points. If you have Canadian experience, which is one year, also you have you get more points. Um, and basically, as it's work right now, uh, it works right now as express entry. So Canadian immigration will invite candidates who has the most points. But a couple of weeks ago, so, so does it just work like top down? Like yes. this guy has ten thousand points. It's a twelve hundred um, max, but uh, lately uh, you can get twelve hundred if you get, for example, provincial nomination, which is six hundred points. And uh, usually, without provincial nomination, you should be in around five hundred points. So it just works top down. Whoever's yes, the most points, you come in, you come in, then they go down to yes. the next tier of points. Yes. You come in, you so come in. So basically, you have uh, there are about two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, applicants there so have who have submitted their profile and they're waiting for invitation but the points are very different right from 100 to 500 points okay but what I just I'll, I'll, I'll forget this one so a couple of weeks ago uh, Sean Fraser the Minister of Migration stated that the system which is economical system which is about 50% or more I have data but we can check later um, invites the the candidates with the highest points uh, but now we're going to be changing, and this year we're going to see that Immigration of Canada will be inviting candidates with a specific experience. For example, it's going to be IT, uh, it's going to be healthcare, which is great, it's going to be trades, uh, it's going to be agriculture and transport. So these are all the sectors that yes. we're lacking in naturally yes. here? So which is good news because, for example, if we take a truck driver, a person who works hard, his points not going to be in the 500s. Maybe he's gonna be 300 points, right? So he works hard, uh, they pay taxes, right? But their chances to immigrate, they, it, it's not enough, right? To immigrate, get invited through the express entry. Um, so now they're gonna prioritize these candidates with a specific NOC codes, which is National Occupation Code, based on their experience. Uh, and all their, almost all the economical programs, they require people to have English level. Okay, so it's a points-based economical system, yes. and how does that compare to maybe the U.S. or the U.K. or Australia? Just, just very briefly, high level. I'm so sorry, I have no, I don't have that information. No, okay, no problem. <laughs> um, because I know, isn't the U.S. a lottery system? Yeah, so it's basically you uh, register, you show your interest that you want to have a green card, and it's card. a random lottery. It's a random, it's a lottery. Uh, we did have a lottery uh, in Canadian immigration when, uh, for example, permanent residents or Canadian citizens of uh, Canada want to sponsor their parents or grandparents. Then you register, you express your desire to sponsor your relatives, and then they would pick a lottery lottery, right? So you would get picked or not picked. We no longer have that? Uh, so in 2020, uh, there were selections 
and they still use in the pool of the candidates until <laughs> I can see why you need a consultant. I'm already so uh, in the weeds with this. There is, yeah, there is a lot of information. So, but yeah, we can go step by step. Okay, so generally, is it just the federal government that dictates immigration laws and limits? So yeah, there is, let's say, a Bible of immigration is the Act of Immigration, and there is regulations. Uh, government, federal government would say, for example, we have a quota for 2023. Uh, if to be precise, the minimum would be uh, 500, sorry, 485 permanent residents accepted, and the maximum would be 542. So there is a 50,000. <laughs> what are the odds that we're going to stay within that number? Yeah, we're going to stay. We will. We will be somewhere there. Isn't yes. it like a thing where we keep overshooting it? Uh, so they give themselves extra room. So they say, for example, minimum is 482. So for last year, I think we got 437,000. So we don't have enough. <laughs> we okay. don't have enough candidates that can qualify based on some programs where the points are taken into account. Uh, so the federal government says how many immigrants will accept. And then each province also has the right. So they have the quota to give nomination of that 600 points I mentioned before to give this specific person with, with the experience, education they have, or some, let's say, uh, trades who need certification. So they can go through the next level. So it's, it's both it's federal and provincial. Each province has their own, let's say, in-demand program, right? So the codes, no codes, which are the jobs which are required in that specific area. For example, here in Ontario, there are in-demand occupations. They are very specific, no codes, but depending on the area you're working, some codes may not qualify. So usually Toronto GTA is very limited. If you go, let's say, um, Cambridge, Kitchener, Hamilton, you have more options, which is great. But And you lose points in some uh, instances. Wait, so specific municipalities yes. within the provinces are then looking for different types of jobs? Yes. For example, here in uh, we have rural north immigration programs all over Canada. So it would be up north where they have their own program and they can attract people to stay there. Okay, so let's say a logger, I don't know, this is probably off, a logger wants to come in from India and he has experience logging in India and maybe with the traditional point system, it wouldn't have ranked high, but now we're incentivizing loggers because we need loggers in rural Northern Ontario. So then he comes in and maybe speaks to someone like you and you let him know, hey, there's these townships in Northern Ontario yes. that you're Point, you have a higher chance of getting of into? Or you, you're just going to be eligible. Most of the time, what happens is your experience is not in the NOC code that is required for that specific area, uh, region, or province. So basically, what happens to majority of uh, people who want to immigrate, for example, they come to Canada, they finish school or college, and then they just go to the regular jobs, let's say sale, sales associate, right? Or work in a warehouse. These uh, knocks will not let you go through the federal program, economical program, which is uh, express entry, I just mentioned. You have to look through certain provincial municipalities, areas who will accept this experience to count towards immigration and let you be eligible to take part. Okay, so without these specific municipalities programs, you might not be eligible. Exactly. If there is, for example, you, you don't want to move out of Toronto, but your experience doesn't count to federal immigration, you cannot even register with this experience to show that, yes, I want to be permanent residence or resident or even, let's say, in GTA or like Ontario, this, this knock is not, not there for you to participate. Okay, so, 
All right. So what are the main pathways into Canada in terms of immigration? Um, so the biggest one is economical. Then we have the point system. Yes. Uh, uh, then we have uh, family sponsorship. Uh, we have uh, uh, some numbers allocated to refugees and protected person. Uh, then we have humanitarian compassionate rights application. Where What's the difference between that and uh, refugee? Uh, so refugee, basically, you are fleeing your country uh, since it's not safe for you. So there has to be some sort of conflict happening in that country? Yes, there are some uh, specific reasons uh, based on your political uh, views or gender or your religion, uh, anything else similar to that. And then you go through the refugee divisions or appeal. So it's a process. For example, if we take into account the humanitarian application, is basically the officer, immigration officer, has to look at your application and uh, cry a little bit, right? Because your situation is so different and you don't qualify for any other immigration streams right it works the best for people who are let's say inadmissible on uh, health uh, issues uh, and uh, also works for older people for example all families here right like mother father children grandchildren and this grandfather grandmother came uh, they don't have any more family left over in the country of origin and this grandmother she cannot immigrate because immigration is not easy so could be for her the option for humanitarian compassion rights application? Yes, uh, because there is no sponsorship intakes lottery, right? Basically, so it depends. So it's like a compassionate yes. program. You just have to show the officer why you deserve to have this permanent residency. Okay, so those are the main ways in. Um, now, what about for students? Because is that like an unreported thing where these students are coming, doing programs, working after and somehow slipping their way into the into so, the country? Um, so basically with students, uh, so for example, I think last year we had 550,000 application approved. So so I saw a stat, we put it out in the uh, Rockstar Best Buy email. It was 750. It's active students holding the okay. permits, I think on hand now, uh, where so, only study permits issued were 550 last year. Thousand. So there, the, what it means that there are students that got their study permits approved a year, two years before, depending on the length of program. So I believe from those 550,000 study permits approved, there were about 80,000, 82,000 uh, uh, study permits approved for, like, say, secondary or high school, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So, so not post secondary. Yeah. So it's uh, it's also we have to account for that, and. Um, Yes. So for some students, with the students, there is lots, lots of drama going on, right? For example, uh, imagine you live in a European country and you paid lots of money to get accepted to the university or college. You get your study permit issued. And then when you completed the program, mm, there were some details. For example, student got study permit got accepted. She came to Canada, but uh, there were some changes. She had to go to another college, mainly due to the reason that she didn't have a trusted professional who would lead her. So there was a, a fraudulent acceptance letter issued, right? So she came to Canada. She had to go to another college. And when she was ready to apply for permanent residency, uh, she was issued uh, misrepresentation, meaning that she has lied on her application. And what happened is her representative uh, from back home have submitted fraudulent acceptance letter, and now she's facing deportation. Hmm. So, so there's people back 
so I say I was about to say back home. There's people um, in all these other countries around the world yes. that have consultants on the other end to get people who are not legal. Mainly, that's the problem. They're not certified. They're not certified because basically in Canadian law, only two types of people can can offer Canadian immigration services. It's consultants and lawyers. So there, what we see, like I get these uh, DMs every day. Hey, look, I got invitation to go to the consulate for, to do an interview. I need to pay five hundred bucks, and my visa will be approved. I'm like, no, it doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this way. So people giving away all their money, they get excited by what that person told them. Uh, so and then they just simply give the money rates. I don't know how much it costs. Uh, and they they want to come to Canada to study. Mainly, it's parents. They want better future for their kids, so they want kids to study, get their uh, diploma, uh, graduate, get permanent uh, residency status after they work. And uh, for some students, uh, it's not been pretty. Right. So they're getting scammed. Yes, they're paying a lot. These and that's the problem because uh, as of right now, there is no way to control all those people around, right? Outside of Canada, how are you going to control them? How are you going to penalize them? Uh, there were instances where people were paying hundred fifty thousand dollars for job offer to get a fake job offer. Yeah. To then come, does it work sometimes? Um, I'm sure it does. It's both sides. So unfortunately, there are instances when employers here in Canada. They're gonna charge you that. Where by law, if employer wants to bring person foreign worker on a closed work permit, uh, you shouldn't get charged a single dollar because the only reason employer does it because they don't have people like you, like with experience. So they need this person with uh, this experience to work in their business. So sometimes uh, these employers, it's absolutely illegal stuff. So and but it happens. So they say, here's the fee. I'll do it for you. Here's the fee. So I, I do the job offer because job offer for uh, foreign workers, which is called labor market impact assessment, is kind of complicated thing to go through. First, you have to submit application to Employment Social Development Canada to show that there is a shortage of these professionals in Canada. And you gave Canadians and permanent residents the option to apply for this job, but there was no, nobody who was available to perform these job duties. Therefore, you're asking to bring foreign worker. And sometimes, um, so it's both sides. So it's the person who applies, they're willing to pay, and the person who is here in Canada who can do it legally. So there's some big money in this that people yes. are taking advantage of. Yes. Okay, how many immigrants came into Canada last year? And where are they all going? What provinces mainly? Um, Ontario. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think uh, if I look at my data, so through the study permits, we get uh, from 550,000 applications that were approved for study permits, 290,000 students came to Ontario. And there were from 436 work permits issued, which is combination of different types of work permits. For example, the one I just mentioned, where the employer brings uh, foreign worker and closed work permit. Then there is this international experience class where citizens of certain European countries, as well as United States, can come to Canada. Then there is portion of, for example, if the foreign worker comes to on a closed work permit, then your spouse can get work permit. So total, there was 430. 36,000 applications, work permit approved, and 180,000 people came to Ontario. Okay, so, so so sorry, what's the total of all those different people? Uh, let me see that. I think it was 400 something. So if we add up, is it 470? Okay. Yeah. What were the, I swear I saw stats being thrown around about a million immigrants, a million people came into Canada last year. 
So last year was different and mainly due to the fact that war in Ukraine. So if you look at the statistics, for example, there were about over 1 million applications submitted for this uh, special measure, Canada-Ukraine Emergency Travel Authorization. Uh, about 700,000 applications were approved and about 200,000 people came to Canada from oh. Ukraine. So last year... That's I, not included in those numbers you just put? Uh, that They're included. So study permits, we have to remember about those, some of those students came based on the temporary uh, program, right? So ministerial instructions or special programs where, for example, something like this happened, Turkey, Afghanistan, Ukraine, the minister comes out and issues a special program. We need to help people. And so more people come in, right? Um, but some people left as well. Uh, and in those numbers, we just have to see, right? Some people here, they don't work, right? So, but they're still here. They'll need housing <laughs> and demand. This is crazy. Um, yes. Just the complexity of it all. But then it's it's hard to get solid numbers, it seems. It is hard, yeah. It is hard to get because people come. What I've seen recently is uh, people come to Ontario uh, and some of them, uh, especially based on their jobs, right? So, for example, their, their knock code, uh, their job is not letting them register in these immigration programs. Uh, in Ontario, there are high standards, right? So employ employer has to have, let's say, if you want to go through sponsorship from employer, they have to have $1 million revenue. They have to be in business three years. Uh, some programs, depending on the area as well, if you're in GTA, employer needs to have $1 million revenue. If you're outside GTA, 500000 So it has to be legal businesses, right, to sponsor. So for some people who don't have high level of English, which is level nine um, out of 10. And uh, uh, and they don't have, let's say, master's or bachelor's degree, and their jobs are not in IT, healthcare, and construction. Some Sorry, what do you say? IT? IT, into information technology. Oh, IT, got yeah. it. Sorry. So this, these are the knock codes and categories that Ontario prioritizes. So it's healthcare, which is great. We need, we need more nurses and doctors. Uh, trades, right? So people who can build housing and like plumbers, electricians, and and there is information technology, software developers. And uh, yes, some people are moving to other provinces. What I have seen, they, they call me and say, look, I, I'm not going to be able to increase my English by so much or learn. Sometimes for some people, you need to learn French <laughs> to a certain level to be competitive, right? Among, wow. among other people. So what I tell to my clients is always uh, have uh, a and B, right? So program A. So for example, you're aiming to immigrate to this program, but in case something changes, like for example, a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, there's going to be some special job codes that are going to be prioritized. What's your plan B? You're going through employer, you're going to different province. So yeah, people are, but mainly what I see the why they live in Ontario is it's too expensive. <laughs> Okay, so the, but the majority of people are originally coming to... 49%, yes. 49% of these people are coming yes. to Ontario, primarily Southern Ontario, Golden Horseshoe yes, area? Yes, absolutely, because everyone is excited to be here close to Toronto because of the jobs, right? Transportation, uh, you're not going to be able to find a job if you go some small village up north. Okay, and it's a mix of a whole lot of students. Yes. And uh, other people with work visas? yes. And most of them trying to get permanent residency. Yes, that's correct. And then once they get permanent residency, can start applying for family sponsors or uh, family yeah, reunification? Yeah, in order, let's say, for um, 
it, so it's almost like you one person gets the foot in the door and then brings yes, everyone over. Yes, for example, over. Uh, you need to if you want to sponsor someone, you need to uh, be permanent residency resident, file your taxes, get your notice of assessment for the last three years, uh, qualify uh, depending on who you want to sponsor. If you're sponsoring parents, grandparents, your income has to be higher than the low income cutoff uh, numbers that the immigration of Canada. And that's because they don't want people to be a burden on the social programs. Exactly. Yes. yes. And there's also I think you mentioned earlier um, health requirements. Like if yes, if somebody aside from the compassionate, like if somebody is terminally ill, it's impossible to sponsor sponsor them through the regular program. Uh, there is possibilities. For example, somebody was really sick, but now they're okay. So and you need a doctor's note, some diagnostics test to show that going to be no burden on the health system, or and then there is some calculation take, taking in account to see how much money this person can potentially use from healthcare. And then based on that, you take in next steps, right? What do you have to do? Do you go for humanitarian compassionate grounds application? It depends case by case. So overall, they're incentivizing uh, young 20 to 30 year old yes. professionals, working yes. professionals, now more so trades than, yes. uh, than these uh, professional jobs. I don't know what the word is. White collar jobs like IT. Yes. What did you say? IT. Tech? IT. Then there is architecture, like database, uh, like managers. Yeah. Uh, so. So that's been the priority. Yes. Up to this point now. For the federal level, where each province has very similar uh, requirements. Uh, so each, for example, British, British Columbia, Alberta, they also have those skill trades and IT. But now the federal immigration is changing. So they want to bring those people that we need in Canada rather than um, people who have very high score. But we still have shortage, labor of shortage, right? So we still don't have nurses and doctors. <laughs> okay, so the federal government is dictating the big targets. Yes. And then the provinces and municipalities are left to just deal with whatever comes in or they with their whatever quarters. they're looking they for? They have their quarters. For example, for this year, Ontario has 18 or 19,000 uh, um, applications or uh, families, they can issue nominations, right? In Alberta, it's 9,000 people. So depending again on the where you work, what's your knock code, what do you have, what do you have to offer to the province? Is your knock required? Is it popular? <laughs> what are you saying? Your knock? knock? Knock code. So it's national occupation classification code, so or code national occupation okay. code. So it's basically your job title uh, and uh, lead statement, which describes the specific job and then the main duties and then there is also requirements do you have to have license what education you don't have to have associated oh my gosh. with it. <laughs> yeah. okay the three big political parties in canada liberals ndp uh, conservatives do they all have pretty similar views on immigration in terms of the no. they want to keep up these high levels <laughs> uh, just so, very briefly yeah, so what they're... i see is liberals they are very pro immigration we're like crank it up yes bring more maybe that's how we balance the economy demand we create more jobs and uh, more taxpayers dollars go into the government uh, where conservatives conservative were much less uh, and uh, is it still significant though because we're very very high uh, so is I think it was about 2 or 300,000 with conservatives where now we are 500,000 with liberal government. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure, like the other party you mentioned, when there were elections, there was a, um, a party, political party, who said that if we were to be chosen, we're going to bring no more than 100,000 permanent residents. That was and NDP? I, I'm not sure. I like I remember this quote, but maybe it was NDP, but I'm not okay. sure. Okay, sure. It be? Yeah. Okay, but everyone overall is pro-immigration, and I yes. guess the theory is that 
we have a naturally declining birth rate here. That's correct. Yes, I believe now we are uh, one in five uh, people who we have one in five people who are 65 or older. So which makes about seven million or eight million people who are in their retirement, retirement, retirement age. Uh, and I think in 10 years, when baby boomers uh, who were born 1965, they will be, uh, they're 65 years old. Uh, we're going to have, I think, 12 million people who are 65 years and older. So we need to bring more. 12 out of about 40 million. Yeah, Canada. 41, yeah. 41 they, million. They, yeah, that's a big chunk. Yes. So they're trying to like and fill it up And one in four, basically one in four. And yeah, we need uh, working, hardworking Canadians and temporary residents who can um, cover the expenses of government by paying taxes. Okay, this this is definitely more coordinated than I thought it was. Because <laughs> it seems like a big disaster, like federal government just dictates targets, you guys all deal with it. It does seem like there's some coordination between the different levels definitely, of government. Definitely, yeah. For example, uh, usually... What we need now is not necessarily what's going to happen now. Usually it happens in a year, right? We needed nurses and trades like two years ago, right? So now finally they change in a little bit. At least they're doing some changes, which is great. They're giving options to other people who are really needed in Canada to immigrate on the federal level. Uh, but still, there are many other people who also need some, for example, temporary programs like or some public policies where they're going to bring people with, like, say, very low English or those jobs that are not very uh, popular don't allow you to even uh, be eligible to register for a program. So I think especially for people who've been here a couple of years or more, right, you kind of have to help them also be closer to the dream. Okay, so now how does housing relate to all this? What is what are what are these people facing when they come here in terms of the housing market? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, uh, from six um, units, I four of them are immigrants, right? The one I'm renting out. So four of the families. So these are your personal yes. yeah properties. And uh, it's hard because they don't have credit score. It's either they can put more money up front, which I am not. I'm not fan of that. Uh, but you just have to go with your gut, like internal GPS. You yeah. Know, you're kind of not fan of not having a credit score. Uh, so they wouldn't have credit score. They just came to Canada on work yeah. permit, right? Uh, what are you not a fan of, though? Sorry. Uh, the credit score, right? I yeah. Mean, I, I would love that. to see the credit score, but I want to see your habits in terms of like how you spend your money that comes in, goes out. Uh, how much in the minus are you every month, right? Uh, uh, so that's more makes more sense to me. Uh, so yeah, some of my tenants, they don't have credit score. I just had to follow my gut, yeah. <laughs> you know, and see like, and they've been okay. They're great, but it's hard for family. So usually what I see happens often. So for example, if a family wants to immigrate or come to Canada on work permit, so one, usually one person is a husband or spouse will go to Canada, start a job, find a housing, right? And then bring over the rest. Of I see that all the yes. time, filling uh, rental properties. Yes. Yeah. If someone's there, they want to bring the wife over the husband over yes because it's like if you have two kids you cannot really like find the room right for the first couple months and then you maybe i'm not sure if it's enough time to build a credit history for a couple months probably not but then you uh, yeah i was just talking to a lady yesterday who came to canada last year so she said in summertime uh they were looking at apartments like um like half uh, of the house like first floor they were three thousand dollars a month and in six months, she had to pay 3700 So $700 more per month. So there was a huge jump, um, mainly due to in certain areas. Again, this is Mississauga, Etobicoke, where all the Ukrainians go, right? So those areas got really big um, increases on rents. 
Okay, and the Ukrainians are going there because it's already a big community. Yes. So they want to kind of yeah stay together. Stick because it's easier. Like you can find a dentist who speaks Ukrainian, right? If you have zero English, and uh, or you find a teacher, like Ukrainian classes for the kids, right? So people go into communities where they can feel more comfortable in a new country. For sure. So the foreign students typically aren't working when they're in school. It's just afterwards, and then all these other immigrants, um, are do they already have jobs lined up? for the most part when they come here or do they need to come here and then find jobs? I know refugees, humanitarian, probably don't have jobs lined up. but uh, the, It but depends, yeah. So for example, students, uh, depending, um, so there are designated learning institutions. Uh, so basically uh, government approved colleges, universities, where if you get accepted to that university college, you, you can work 20 hours uh, outside campus or 40 hours on campus. If this is the private college, uh, usually they two or three times cheaper and that could be uh, how some people get into Canada because it's much, much cheaper for them. Private colleges yes. are cheaper? Yeah. So they're like uh, one year certificate, right? Or two year, but then this college does not, if it's not on the list of designated learning institution, it will not give you an option to apply for work permit after you complete your studies. So it's, what do you choose? Do you just choose to come to Canada for like the most affordable program and then go from there? And usually that's where the trouble starts or, but can you afford the college that's gonna give you an option to work and then apply for postgraduate work permit? So those designated schools, those are all the government run? Yeah, like approved by government, meaning that if there is the school has a DLI number, it means you're good. <laughs> it was your future, right? So, yeah, there is quite a few colleges that you just go DLI, you just Google DLI list. Canada, so you the, see. So the government schools can charge three times the amount of tuition, but the private schools aren't allowed to. They, they are less much. So that's why there is the price comes with the options you will mm. have. So it's all connected. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So they're paying. So now it seems like there's an obvious incentive for these semi-state-run uh, post-secondary schools, universities and colleges, to um, go for foreign students because they're getting three times the amount of tuition. Of course. Would I yes. be correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Canada, as you, as we have seen by the numbers, 550,000 applications were approved. Uh, probably 800,000 were submitted, right? Usually we have, uh, but there were lots of Ukrainians, right, who came and got approved. So usually there is about 30, 40% uh, refusal rate on all the, so let's say a million people applied, right? To come to Canada on study permits. Just on study permits. Yes. And that's not the economic. No, 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 absolutely. And uh, if to go, if to talk about the work permit, so again, it depends. So if you, for example, come from France or Germany uh, on one year work permit, there is a work in a holiday program where you don't need to have a job offer from Canadian employer, but then there is a, a international experience class program where you have to have a job offer from employer. So you may come, you come in and you already know where you work, or if it's work in holiday, you just come and you look for employment. Okay. Now, with all these people coming here, a lot to Ontario, to this one specific region, do you see any issues arising from that? Yes. <laughs> In terms of having the infrastructure, specifically yes, housing. One, and the housing infrastructure and then the affordability. Is this being addressed in any way that you see? I don't see any help from government in that. No? 
No. In terms of creating housing, for sure not. No, but yeah. what about um, hospitals and roads? Exactly. So uh, like the roads I was driving. Traffic is <laughs> the crazy. Traffic is crazy. There was like lots of oversized vehicles. There were I probably seen two or three construction stops. I was waiting on the stop signal. So I'm sorry for being late. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. And uh, yes. Um, a good thing that uh, makes me happy is at least the taxpayers' dollars are used somewhere. Like because I come from a different country, uh, I'm just comparing the roads here and there. It's nightmare back mm. home, right? So you just uh, your vehicle is really struggling on those ro- roads and holes. So um, yeah, so I'm not sure. Like probably we're gonna see much more housing built. Like for example, in the area where I live, there're gonna be ten thousand people more. Like it's a small community in the next 10 years there's a huge uh like land where going to be housing housing built uh so just further densification yes, further densification. yes and this and doesn't look like it's slowing down and i know you no. said the conservatives seem to be the lowest of the big three but it's still like not insignificant like 200 250 people recorded i think 480 you work with was work permits and study permits in Ontario four hundred eighty thousand. Oh, it's just uh, you mentioned the Conservatives, right? They oh, yeah, had the yeah, lower see, targets. Uh, their targets quarter for the uh, yes. Yeah, like it's even still, if they come into power next, yeah, it's still pretty high. It is a lot. So, which I get it. Like the baby boomer, like that all kind of makes sense. It's yeah, just and it's it, it looks like we're in a decade of craziness. Is all. I'm it's thinking. just like yeah, people come to Canada and mostly like for example, who people who want to come to Canada, they are like hardworking people. They know they want to build families, so they come into Canada and they already have that hard work mode. So they know I have to work so many years and then I can hopefully retire. Yeah. That's another. That's another probably podcast how people can retire, but. Uh, Usually people move out, right? They move away. So uh, interestingly, that in Atlantic provinces, there is uh, there are more people age 65 and older than, for example, in prairie pro- provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, there is more younger generation people who are zero to five, 15 years old. So does it mean that um, 65 years and older people people moving away from those <laughs> provinces because it's too cold uh, or maybe because it's more affordable in those provinces to raise a family there are more kids so in the in the western provinces yes yeah not, f- not British Columbia but it's uh, Alberta uh, Saskatchewan Manitoba there are more kids per family and there is uh, yeah less people who are 65 and I'm older. sure affordability has something to do with it yes um, Okay, so renting to new immigrants, often they don't have a credit score, um, but you, so I guess you're just going off of and, um, yeah, for example, pay stubs, employment. Yeah, pay stubs, and sometimes you just have to, some people still looking for work, but they have another person. So it's two families moving in right now. Yeah, very so common. for example, that person I just mentioned recently who rented a house for 3,700, she has three people like three families so it's her and her husband her uh, mother and father and then there is a brother so there are three basically incomes uh maybe there are six or seven incomes but they're combined and they're paying uh down this uh, rental right and the other properties like units i have is it's two families it's like husband and wife and then there is like the brother or sister yeah and this is common in every i feel like nationality when there's these big immigration surges from different countries at different times yeah like the past 80 100 years in canada have done the same thing like multi-generational living like that's how the italians were in the 50s yes you know after the war like that's what my dad did together so i think it's just something that real estate investors need to be aware of 
and plan for and expect when yes. renting out their properties Absolutely. to see these alternative living arrangements. Like they might have in mind, oh, I want this nice professional couple, you know, or this tiny little family, like this one small compact family unit. But in reality, you might be getting a ton of people where they're, they're friends. Yeah. I, I see this one a lot where it's like a husband and wife with like a couple cousins of theirs or their friends. Yeah, because it's affordable for them, right? And and then it makes sense. It's For me, it's better if you tell me the truth, <laughs> we're going to be living at the property rather than it's only you. But then I see all these cars parked on the drive, right? Just be honest with me and it's fine, right? Rather than just making up yeah. stuff to which does happen and then yeah that's yes. where the gut feel does yeah come into play big time um i've rented a bunch of properties specifically to indian immigrants mm -hmm. who come and they've been like some of the best tenants like so polite uh very religious i mean this is yes. all anecdotal from like a few yeah. cases but like they've just been awesome um but they did have credit scores and stuff. They were students, so I mm -hmm. guess they had time to build up their credit. Yes, yes. But it's something I see a lot. In terms of um, nationalities, are you working with people of all different countries? Are you yes. primarily focused with Ukrainians? Now I have like my uh, client base is about 80% Ukrainians, but I work with uh, is that everyone because who just... I can communicate to, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, anyone you can speak English yes, to? Yes, anyone, unless my English is not where, because I, I speak so much, probably 80% of the day I speak Ukrainian, so. Okay. But I love my accent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's lovely. Are Ukrainians gravitating towards you because you are Ukrainian? You can speak to them? Yes, can... mainly because there's so much information to explain. And for people uh, who have planned their immigration and they know some information, it's easier for them to absorb this information. But for people who just came and they want to know how to stay, there is lots of steps which you need to take only to be eligible to register in the immigration programs. I'm not talking about the rest, like going through the medical admissibility, inadmissibility, criminal checks, right? So, yeah, so I think because they can speak in their native language, because there's so much like, and there is a website, there's a great website for people like Canada, CIC.gc.ca, which has lots of Im immigration information programs. But the program, problem with it is the immigration website is not the law. <laughs> So there is lots of information that you can get lost. So you click on this link, click, click on this link, and then you come to the point uh, that like, I'm not sure what I'm doing. And there were actually a couple of federal court cases where the applicants were applying through the instructions uh, published <coughs> on the uh, RCC Immigration Canada website. And then the judge came back, said the website is not the law. You have to go with the Act, Immigration Act of Canada and regulations. So that could be the problem. And that's why, yeah, there is. And then based on the experiences, right, you see what could be the problem <laughs> and you, you kind of guide the client, say, hey, you need to do this in advance. It takes so much time. You don't want to be out of time because some programs, for example, if you get invited, you have 14 days to submit all paperwork. Some programs let you submit in 60 days. So just be prepared. Okay, what rights do you have as a permanent resident in Canada? Uh, oh, I haven't been permanent resident for a long time for myself. I'm just comparing. Uh, so you basically have all the rights. Uh, besides, you cannot vote. And then you also have an obligation, residency obligation. So you have to stay physically in Canada uh, two years out of five, basically 730 days uh, in five years. So for example, if you have permanent residency cards, the, the status, so you come to Canada and you meet the officer, the border CBSA officer, so he looks five years back and sees if you have met that residency obligation by being physically in Canada 730 days. 
That sounds like a temporary resident, not a right? permanent resident. There are cases when people come and go because usually some family you have to take care about older people. There is uh, possibilities for those cases to ask for reconsideration, like compassionate, uh, not take away the permanent residency from that person. You still have to present the evidence why you have left Canada and to show that you really intend to stay and work, <laughs> live in yeah. Canada. Uh, otherwise, yeah, your permanent residency will be taken away. Do you need to be working? No. In order to uphold it? No, you don't need to be working. So you basically just don't get the right to vote and you have those restrictions yes. on time in the country. Yeah, there is still, uh, for example, uh, when it comes to temporary residence, like if you're in study permit, work permit, in compared to permanent residency, uh, if you get caught driving under influence, the consequences are harder for temporary residents than if you have permanent residency. But mm. I always tell my clients, don't drink and drive. <laughs> don't drink and drive because you're gonna have criminal offense and then it may uh, not let you go next, take next steps in your immigration. Okay, and then the step after permanent resident, so that's when you get the ID card. Yes. And that's an official Canadian ID. Yes. Like you can use that to verify identity. Yeah, like if you buy property, like if you probably take a loan out. Uh, yes, uh, I haven't seen any fake ones. Okay, so banking, social programs, um, driving. Do you, yes. do you need a drive? You obviously you, need a driver's license still. Some people don't. <laughs> yeah, so everything except the right to vote, essentially. And that's those correct. Things. Yes, and then the residency, and then uh, then you can apply for Canadian citizen uh, being. Uh, so basically, in the last uh, four years, you have to be minimum two years as. Uh, you basically have to be in Canada physically 1,095 days, so three full years. So you can be two years as a permanent resident and then two years as the work permit or like say study permit. But those two years, they uh, combined into one. So basically two days count for one when you're temporary resident. So being in Canada two years on the work permit and two years as PR, a permanent resident, you can apply for Canadian citizenship. Okay, cool. And you have to pass a test, right? Yes, English test, uh, level four, speaking and uh, uh, listening. And uh, you have to show that you file taxes. You received notice of assessments for the last- That's good. <laughs> yeah, those three years, which is great. Uh, Don't you have to know a bit of Canadian history? Yes, then you have the test. Like if you pass uh, certain steps, uh, eligibility steps, meaning you have everything you need to have in place in order to qualify and be considered to apply for, to get citizenship, then you pass uh, history, right? So you write a test, uh, you study by the booklet, the Canadian history, it's done on Zoom. And then your ceremony is on Zoom too. <laughs> okay. Some ceremonies are in person, but more and more often ceremonies, citizenship ceremonies are over Zoom. So when people are coming here, are they expecting some sort of version of the American dream? You know, the Canadian yes, dream? Yes. Just the opportunities? Yes. And do their expectations match up with the reality from your experience when they do get here? Do you ever get people like, where the heck did you bring me? Exactly. Well, I, I, don't, I don't ask anyone to come. I'm just, you know, fulfilling your... Um, let's yeah, say desire to, to get uh so yes it happens and uh it depends on the lifestyle you had prior to coming to canada so uh <coughs> especially some european uh countries let's say italy or spain if you lived some somewhere by the by the um, on the like somewhere on the lake shore right meaning that you after work you go on the beach and then here in canada you come the winters are much uh, colder and you have to work 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 so then people uh, like i have actually one of my tenants said like you know this is not for me like yeah i came here because of the war but this country is not for me uh, like I where did he come from? From Ukraine. And he's, 
Yes. And he'd rather go back to the war? Not back. Just but, somewhere else. But just the kind of said, I, I, I don't see myself working like this for 10, 15 years and, until retirement. And here he cannot uh, do what he did back home. So it's more like connections, experiences, like uh, what you can do in terms of business. Because here it's like market is different, right? Supply and demand. Uh, so some people are saying, yeah, I'm going to stay here temporary. But then I'm going to be making my next step. Some people love it because they have predictability, stability. They know what's going to be tomorrow. And mainly that's due to the fact that, uh, for example, in some countries uh, you can work, but you're not certain if you're going to get your paycheck because your boss can say, hey, listen, this this month I don't have money to pay you or like your job is on and off. So some people who really plan it, they want to come to Canada because they can uh, provide a housing and food to their family and children. Uh, but then again, one person is no longer enough <laughs> to cover all the expenses here in Canada. You need two incomes, like you need a spouse and um, husband and wife, because with one income, just almost impossible to cover all those expenses. So are people a bit shocked by the cost of living when they get here? Yes, especially housing. Yeah, they're shocked because uh, it's just way too much. They like they not uh, where they were not expecting to pay so much into the housing. So that that could be, and then they, some people get very emotional saying that I will never be able to afford to buy a house here. Like I'm here like with my spouse, my spouse works part-time, my, my job is enough to pay rent and some uh, food, right? And uh, some after uh, curriculum activities for kids. When I gonna be able to buy the house and when I gonna be able to pay it down, I gonna be already 85 or 90 years old, right? Yeah. So if people come in their 30s or 40s. Uh, Were these people primarily homeowners back where they came from? Oh yes. Yeah. So that's common to be a homeowner. In yeah, these... it's very common because there is usually you get... The, the... Are you speaking mainly uh, European countries? Yes, or... yes. So you get the housing, like some countries, right, through the inheritance from the family. And it's common back home also in those countries for uh, like mother, father and their kids to live together, right? So they have... Uh, and it's a different mentality, right? Where here in Canada, you have to come and go, 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 right? Work, 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 work. Uh, where back home is like not necessarily, right? Well, what about people from, like there's a lot of Indian immigrants, mm -hmm. for example. Are they experiencing similar things? It's a totally different country yeah, than Europe. It's a mentality. They know where we, they're going because... Uh, here is again like stability you're gonna finish school like if we take students into account they know they're gonna get their diploma they're gonna work immigrate and it's more uh for like older older generations like people in their 40s 30s 40s what they're gonna give their children so lots of uh, adults who come here on economical like immigration programs they work hard and they do it for their children for their future generations so they can give them better life so they can feel much better be protected right uh, in canada than in their home back home countries okay so should real estate investors expect these i keep saying crazy i didn't it's it it's a crazy. lot yeah like i don't mean that in a negative I way be able to afford it's, to buy a house right now i'd look at the prices and say no <laughs> right yeah it's, it's just chaotic maybe yes. that's a better word than crazy um these high levels of immigration they seem high because when you compare them like per capita to the u.s yes like yeah. it's especially for like tiny canada in terms of population right like yeah 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 exactly just per capita like it's incredible levels of immigration is this to be expected yes i forward? think next 10 years um for sure and we don't have enough housing now no so they're gonna we're gonna build smaller units on top of each other right outside like in uh 
areas and maybe like the rural northern immigration pilots uh, programs they're going to be building there some units and again you need jobs there so it's all interconnected right you need to invite people to give them job not only in the housing but for sure here in this area in gta yeah yeah it's going to be let's say maybe um if i look at the prices right now for example if i want to buy a house so like single detach and do a two unit conversion uh, it might not be enough to cover my expenses but what i'll do i'll do three unit or four unit and that will work for me so probably <laughs> gonna see. yeah i know in st Catharines, maybe hamilton i forget now definitely st Catharines. uh they just got approved the ability to go instead of just one unit to two units with yeah. the secondary now three units yes so we'll see more and more of that it's going to be smaller but it's going to be more affordable right for people who need that affordable housing and, and the, it's fine and the onus is on the private market private investors to make these units yes because basically i can probably do the unit in let's say six months right from the time of buying and converting in six nine months like i do it slowly right i don't hire a contractor we do we do hire our own trades okay so this is a strategy you've been using yes which i do want to get into yes. is your personal journey with real estate investing yes because it's almost like you're an insider to all this and you're like i see the tsunami coming you know i'm going to start building yes i'm actually that's how we started it, I joined, uh, I came for a couple, um, I came for the first introductory class, introduction class uh, in different office. I didn't sign up the same day, same day to be the, the member. Then I came for your event somewhere in Mississauga and then I was wowed, like I really liked the community, the people. I signed up to be a member and you, you basically guys guided me how it should be done uh, properly. And we bought on the first property in 2019. 20. So the, the closing was uh, January 2020. So just during the COVID, <laughs> just oh, before nice. the COVID started. Uh, but it's great. It took us a year to finish first property convert into the duplex. Do you guys have a construction background? Uh, Your husband? Or? I was studying, an being an architect. My husband actually, oh, cool. he works in construction field. Okay. Yes. Uh, so between your architect experience and then his construction, you guys managed I never, to... I never uh, had a chance to use my architect experience, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> Here really? in Canada, yes. Uh, I did hire a company to do the drawings for me, uh, Andy. And, uh, but we did everything from the start, right? By ourselves, <laughs> so we hired. We wanted to go through the process. We had an option to hire a general contractor and everything would be done. Like, you know, um, here's the keys, <laughs> welcome. Uh, but uh, we decided to do everything on our own. And I'm very fortunate that we took that route, even though it took us about a year to complete with COVID. Like we couldn't get material in, Home Depot was closed. You had to order online, <laughs> come pick up, curbside pickup. And uh, we were not, um, structured properly so I wouldn't book ahead my trades or we were looking at trades some trades wouldn't come then we say okay we cannot work with you anymore right so, so why were you happy that you went through that experience we learned so much we learned so much from basically just the the house was just the box foundation and the walls because we changed all electrical all that was like 60 year old the bungalow uh, we changed all the drains we did backflow valve whatever just to make sure uh, we learned so much about the fire separation, about the units, the ceiling height, the windows, uh, and I was renting them out by myself also. Like what you, what you're doing, right? So yeah. it was. I wanted to go through myself just so I, I gained the knowledge. So then I can, I will have be more knowledgeable in terms of like my next project I'll be doing. So did you already own a house for your uh, the two of you guys? Yeah, actually, it's funny story. We I became landlord by mistake by accident. <laughs> so we um, we had a house in 
uh, in GTA in Georgetown. Uh, it's a small, small like three-bedroom house. Uh, then my second child was born, and uh, my mother came uh, to live with us. We were looking for a bigger house, like four or five bedroom in the same area. Uh, so it was 2017. So we bought the bigger house, just like a couple kilometers down uh, the road. But we couldn't sell our primary residence because it was 2017 when the foreign uh, public policy for the foreign investors came into play, where they had to pay extra taxes to if they're foreign investors. And then, like my neighbor sold this his house like uh, May 20th, and I couldn't sell it in a week. Like I couldn't sell it, and the price I was offered is was too low, and said no, I'm not selling for this price. So the stubbornness probably helped. So we moved into the bigger house, so the all family members can feel comfortable, uh, and we had to rent out the primary residence. And then after a year or so, like I'm like, you know what? Look, I pay down ten percent, ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars of my mortgage principal, and I'm like, I have to look into more details. I want to get more information. Then when I googled uh, real estate investing, that's how I found you guys. That's how you found us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's cool. So you've been working with Paul. Yes. And uh, you've continued to build your yes. portfolio. So yes. so is that how you've you I think you mentioned six units? Yes. So you've been buying single families, converting them? Yes, that's correct. That's uh, so we finished the second one. It's actually uh, good timing. We bought 2019 pre-construction uh, townhouse and unit and we converted it into the two units with the smaller bachelor basement apartment downstairs. Oh, okay, this was an end unit townhome. Yes, yes. A higher requirements in terms of the ceiling height and like 10% light, but like I paid great price comparing to what's now, 2019, and I only had to put 36,000 from my unsecured line of credit, <laughs> so it worked. For the whole conversion? Uh, for the, to give the builder, right, as a deposit. Oh, wow. And then it got closed in two and a half years. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty sweet. So the timing was great. Uh, and then, yeah, we have another property which we're gonna sell and then again use, because it's another pre-construction like condo, another condo townhouse in Hamilton and- uh, That you also converted? Uh, no, I cannot convert it. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. not common to be converting townhomes, right? Yeah, this is, I think we are the first townhouse in the area there who has separate entrance. I have my first property, uh, which was a rent town and they never bought out, is an end unit townhome. Oh, this is great. And uh, so I've thought about it, but I'm like, ah, it's a pretty small basement. There's it not much bachelor. clearance. It is bachelor, it's just for enough, it's enough for not one person, basically. I think it's like 300 or 400 square feet unit, hmm. but it's still affordable. Yeah, and it's an extra source and of income coming. And it's brand new and small. We did nice foam insulation there, so it feels co cozy and dry. So why do you like this strategy so much, adding the second suites? Uh, Obviously, you know the importance with all the immigration coming uh, in to provide course, those units. Yeah, so for example, if I do rent out the house to one per one family, I'm going to be far away from covering my expenses uh, on a monthly basis, and uh, I'll not be able to stay in this provide affordable housing if uh, I'm not covering my expenses. I just cannot come up every month with like a thousand bucks extra. Right? Yeah, you can only it. have so many negative cash yeah, flowing houses. So, and then, so the second unit helps, uh, works uh, great to cover expenses, so I can keep providing affordable house uh, units for people who need it. And it works for me, so it's both ways. So they like their nicely renovated, clean space at affordable price, comparing to, for example, the single property where just one family can be living, right? And um, it works for me. 
I really can't wait personally myself to get to the stage where I have enough capital to start doing these renovations and conversions on my own properties because up to this point, I've only had enough money to like scrape together for a down payment on this one, scrape together for a down payment and just it accumulating. Harder. It gets harder now with every property. Yeah, yeah just buying <laughs> the assets has been the important thing to me, yes. but I know like just how you can recycle your money and uh, the velocity absolutely. of money and yes. buy one, the do the conversion, pull it out, refinance. recycle that. And mainly like the next property we want to do is uh, like sell this townhouse and buy and do the somewhere in Hamilton three units, maybe four unit place. Maybe in 10, 15 years, I'm going to have to give one unit to my children, say, get out from the house, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, go live in this property. So give me peace of mind. <laughs> maybe it's going to be this way, but at least I'm going to have this option, option, right? And then, uh, Long term, yes, in 15, 20 years, uh, idea that I don't have to work, right? And uh, every hour to provide salary, like a dollars to buy food and pay mortgage on my primary residence. Uh, it's great, but this, we're still gonna work in Canada. <laughs> we still, but I want to have an option. I want to have an option and say, you know what? Uh, this month, I don't really have to push so hard and work. I can do like part-time, right? I want to yeah. have this, uh, choice of mine rather than depend on the pension, which is terrible. Yeah, which isn't much, right? No. I feel the same way. Like I don't have clearly defined goals of like what I want these properties to provide for me. I just know I'd rather have them than not have them Absolutely. because I know it will provide a financial fortress, foundation, options. When you need it, if you need it. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like in 10 years, maybe I want to optimize for cash flow and work a little yes. bit less. Maybe I want to keep accumulating my net worth or use these to buy vacation property somewhere yeah, and focus can, on lifestyle. You can choose what you want or like you refinance, you do private mortgages, right? So you have options rather than if you don't have a property, what are the options? None. Yeah, it seems pretty desolate to be honest it's, without. Yeah, so I'm, whoever I talk to, I'm like, you have to buy property, you have to buy property, you know? So like, or what I see now is uh, more often people buying properties with already legal uh, units and they rent them out. So, you know, it helps us 15, 2000 bucks a month and help us to pay our mortgage. Are these immigrants you're speaking to refer? Mainly, yes. Mainly, yeah. People who are okay uh, having an idea that somebody downstairs or upstairs is gonna be living there. Right, because they get used to live in a smaller places, maybe share a room with other tenants in a house, so they're open to this idea more. Yeah. Now, what do you think about student rentals with all these students coming? Like, Ooh, I'm uh, seeing there's lots of illegal activities in terms of housing, <laughs> right? Like, where like the rooms in the basement without the proper uh, fire escape is there. There is no uh, fire alarms, right? Carbon monoxide alarms, like some rooms you see. Uh, it's funny you mentioned because my uh, my husband, since he works he works in construction, so one house it's like new built houses he inspects. So he said I came into the room, like the master bedroom, there was huge, uh, like pretty big, maybe half of this room, uh, walk-in closet and there were mattress in a closet. Wow. Yeah, so it's, and then, uh, yeah. I talked to um, a fire inspector once who was mm -hmm. looking to rent a property in Hamilton and she did a bunch of work in Brampton. She's like, I can't go to Brampton anymore because these exactly. horrible, horrible exactly fires happen. Area. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's 16 mattresses yes. on the ground. This is terrible. And so. it's just this terrible product, the symptoms of... I don't know, not enough housing being able to be built? Uh, affordability, because in order to buy a house, to put proper, you need proper capital to put down, to build, go by inspector, do the permits, it takes probably cost you double. 
It's insane. Like there's so many negative consequences. People don't want to put in the like, you know, like this uh, bachelor studio I did. It's probably costing maybe between uh, 50 or 60,000, which is not much at all. Could I put just, could I just drywall it, make, do like a washroom with the shower and sink and just put mattresses there? Yeah, I could. But is this what I choose? No, I want to sleep well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you don't want a slumlord yes. at all. Yes. Yeah. The peace of mind. Plus, they probably those mattresses spaces, they probably rent them for like two or three hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Affordability again. And for students, when it comes to students, it's hard for students because they come into a new country. Uh, they need to study because sometimes the study load is a lot, your assignments, and then they need also to work depending. Uh, so it's always good to have a good pillow in terms of who is supporting you, your studies. So whenever the student comes to Canada, international students, there has to be somebody who can support him in case the student cannot work this season. He needs to put his attention towards studying and passing assignments. Uh, so he can pay for his accommodation, food, transportation, or books. And sometimes, quite often, the students uh, stop studying and they go to work because they, they like to feel the money, the paycheck, the bigger paycheck, and that's when the prob problem comes, right? So you, Because they've left the, the path of Yeah, the you cannot, uh, so being a full-time student, uh, the most common mistake that students uh, always like often do is, for example, they finish their studies, they wrote their, they had their final exams, but their work permit or study permit still is good for another five, six months. So they continue working, working, but you cannot work when you finish studies because that's the part of your program, part of the immigration right you have. So you are a full-time student, you can work. But once you're no longer a full-time student, even if the paper says that you're still, your still study permit is valid, uh, you cannot work. You have to apply for postgraduate work permit. Uh, and then Will that just automatically be approved? Uh, no, <laughs> no. There are some, you have to be full-time students having specific amount of credits, uh, subjects per semester. So sometimes, for example, what happens is student, like it's a, some kind of season, like winter season, summer season, depends on if they study in summer, they go to work, work and they take less uh, subjects. So then during that semester, in the middle of the studies, you're not full-time student, you're part-time student. So mm. then the trouble comes. Uh, usually um, you are allowed to be a part-time student in the last semester of your studies, but not in between. Or kids get depressed, right? They say, you know, I cannot do it anymore. They stop. They stop studying or they just go to work. Then they just, uh, then the trouble starts for them to, to get their work permit. It's a refusal after refusal. And then what they do next. Damn. Life is hard, eh? Yes, yes. Holy smokes. Okay. Um, I've covered a lot of stuff here that I think I wanted to. Uh, oh, how? Do, so your business, do you want to just call out um, what you do, how you, I mean, you consult people? How does it work? Yeah, basically, so I uh, do, as of uh, today, uh, right now, I do only immigration in Ontario. I just simply cannot cover all the provinces. It's way too much. So I do help people to immigrate in Ontario. Uh, I help with uh, study permits, work permits, if it's like open work permit or closed work permit with employer, where, for example, employer wants to hire a foreign worker, I help with that. Um, yeah, I represent people, I hold their hand. So there is one type of clients where I hold their hand through the whole process. And there is another type of uh, business businesses sometimes also, or clients who needs review service. So for example, I have quite a few businesses who need to hire a foreign worker. They're doing this LMA application and they're like, 
<laughs> what's going on, right? Uh, and can you help me? Yes, I review their application. We sit with them, so it's much more affordable for them. It depends, right, on the client. Okay. How can people find out more about you? Uh, they can call me or email me. So my uh, cell is... Uh, 416-877-1871. Oh, you're putting it out there. Yeah, or they can email me. Uh, it's a long one, but it's info at welcome to Canada immigration.com. Okay, and is that your website as well? Uh, I don't uh, want to be honest. It is my website, yes, but I haven't been there for a long time. Uh, updating it? It's yeah, a nice I site. I was looking yes. at it like when I was trying to research oh, for this. Oh, goodness, and, probably uh, for when, like, since the war started in Ukraine, I just... So it did business... It sounds terrible actually yes, i was about to is. say did business hard, hard explode yes. for you but did um obviously yeah. you saw a big pickup yeah absolutely so the first uh, six nine months there was lots of like volunteering uh, hours where like you know you help people just you know explain them uh especially people who are in europe mothers with children you know you you do for them for like pro bono you don't charge them so that was the first uh, six nine months uh, and then people already came to Canada when they already uh, want to immigrate, then I already give that professional advice. We sit down, we look at your age, your education, your experience, and uh, where you want to be. Is Canada a top destination right now for people fleeing Ukraine? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure. See, for the Europe, uh, what I see is uh, more people stay there temporary. Where in Canada, people who decided to stay, they like, how do I get my permanent residency? I need to get my permanent residency. Like my permit expires in two years. What are I gonna do next? Uh, yes. So those I guess are, if you came this far too across the Atlantic, it's, it's like, hard to leave, right? It's a much like, bigger commitment. Like, yeah, like I have, I haven't gone once to Ukraine for, since two thousand nine. I just don't have time. It's terrible, but just have to find a couple of weeks of my time. No. Yeah, just busy working, right? Yeah, I was family and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, raising a family, buying rental properties, yes. starting an immigration consulting business. Yes. Um, All adds up and sometimes, yeah, you just want to escape, but you have to keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's life in Canada, yeah. man. That's life. I know it's way worse in like other parts of the yeah, world. Yeah, so people are like, they're happy that they have that ability to come to Canada and know what's going to be tomorrow. They're going to find a job and uh, have a paycheck to cover the expenses. That's what really drives them to Canada, the stability. Yeah, like Canada is great in so many ways. And then in so many other ways, you can just see how you could make things better or what the obvious problems are. And so it's a bit frustrating, I think. Yes, but we can just talk about it for us, right? And bring awareness, but um, government needs to take actions. Yeah, totally. Okay, is there anything else on immigration that you wanted to cover? I saw a couple things here, maybe artificial intelligence. Yeah, so we have Chinook artificial intelligence. So. Uh, it comes to the refusal. So, for example, if you applied for uh, any, like, usually it's work permit, study permit, visitor visas. If you got your refusal pretty fast, just uh, take extra step and request the notes from immigration. Uh, why? Because what we have seen recently is Chinook, the inter in, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, even though immigration um, says uh, that it's not decision-making tool, but rather it's a tool that summarizes and organizes information for an officer. Uh, what we see is in the uh, notes, when we request the notes to see detailed refusal, what's the reason of the refusal? Uh, so we see that there was no <laughs> no present, no actually uh, officer 
notes. Like you have to make a connection for your logical connection for your refusal. You cannot just write, no, I don't like you. you cannot, you're not going to leave Canada by the end of your term. And I just given your refusal. There has to be a connection. So just don't give up and request the notes. See if there is a legal, like um, there is a connection reasoning for the refusal. Uh, if there is not, you can go to federal court, but always better to avoid those, <laughs> those places. And uh, always look for a second opinion. So it's like we have in healthcare or any other probably industry, uh, try to uh, speak to one person, uh, like if we talk about immigration or any other right industry and seek second opinion from another person. Because sometimes, uh, unfortunately, people who want to get their residency, permanent residency, they, uh, they trust too much. When, for example, professionals, uh, immigration professional, professionals, they give some guarantees, which is absolutely prohibited in law. So no one can give any guarantees. So if somebody tells you, I guarantee you're going to be approved. So please note this is scam. You are not allowed. So I can lose my license if I'm going to guarantee that this you're going to be OK. Go for second opinion, because sometimes people choose the wrong path. And then it takes on the years federal court refusals, appeals, and you lose lots of time and money because you just um, trusted maybe too much somebody promising you the outcome. Okay. So yeah, use a licensed immigration consultant. They're not a very good licensed one, but... <laughs> use a good... Use Daria. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds like she knows what she's talking about. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, on. Anthony. It was a pleasure. Yeah, really appreciate it, Daria. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So a huge thank you to Daria for coming in and sharing her story, her investing, and everything about immigration that she shared. That was incredibly valuable, Daria. I got three main things from this episode. One, how confusing the immigration system is. Two, how it all works at a much deeper level. And three, I'm more bullish on Southern Ontario real estate than ever. You can contact Daria at 416-877-1871 or email her at info at welcome to Canada immigration.com and her website is welcome to canada immigration.com and you can download the ontario population explosion for free at rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports for a detailed uh, breakdown of population growth in ontario in 2023 and where the opportunity lies for real estate investors this report is very focused on showing the opportunity that is available out there for investors and so that's what it focuses on using the population numbers as context for it all so thank you for listening as always and we hope to catch you again.